I mean, work, uh, marriage is hard. It really is. And uh, we've been talking about it now for three weeks. And I couldn't dream of talking about marriage without starting out with a joke or two. Um, I mean, some of the greatest jokes I've ever heard have been about marriage. Thanks, Chris. Unfortunately, usually they are putting marriage down. But uh, uh, they're, they're worth thinking about. They do talk about a certain truth in marriage. Um, I know one of the, my favorite jokes is about the foursome out golfing. And uh, they're just getting up to the eighth tee, and the guy's over the ball, and he's getting ready to tee off, and all of a sudden, here comes a funeral procession. And the guy teeing stands up erect, takes his hat off, puts over his heart, and watches the whole procession go by until they're past him and are going on down the road. When they're all out of sight, he puts his hat back on and gets ready to tee off. And his three buddies say, well, that was really a beautiful gesture. We're impressed. That was really a neat thing to do. And the guy said, at least I could do. She was a faithful wife for 35 years. <laughs> and just so we know, the women have their tough spots. There's a couple standing before a divorce judge. And the judge says, uh, ma'am, I find these whole proceedings to be in your favor. What do you want out of this divorce? And she said, I want him to leave me in the same condition he found me. And the judge says, you got to be kidding. I, I can't, that, that would take a miracle. She says, miracle? What miracle? He found me a widow, let him leave me a widow. <laughs> you know, as, as uh, JJ and Dee shared with us, marriage takes work. It's tough. And we've spent the last three weeks talking about it, looking at scriptural admonitions and examples of marriage and some testimonies. And uh, today I want to give you what I consider the bottom line about an attitude that is needed to make marriage work as you walk with God. Three of you remember Mark took us through Ephesians 5, and we learned about what it means to mutually submit, that both the husband and the wife have to submit to one another's needs and to consider the other and to work together. That's a must. It's extremely important. And, you know, I love Ephesians 5.25. In 95% of the versions of the Bible I've read, verse 25 is in italics. After Paul explains that my marriage should resemble the relationship that Christ has with his church, and then Paul in italics wrote, this is a very difficult statement to understand. Because he knew. And the majority of the world, and sad to say, a large part of the Christian body does not understand those words to imitate the uh, relationship Christ and the church. And so then Mark went through the uh, Gary Chapman's five love languages. They were awesome, you know, about a, a, a language of touch, a language of affirmation, a language of service. And uh, two others that I forget at the moment. But it's important that you know what it is that, that touches your heart. You need to understand that. But more importantly, you need to understand, how do I touch my spouse? What is the way that I, what can I do for her that will say to her, I love you, and get that through to her and make her understand, her understand. So we've looked at all the things we need to do and, and some scriptures. And so I want to get in today to kind of... Uh, just one bottom line. We're going to look at two scriptures today. And uh, if you want to turn ahead with me, if uh, in your Bible, do uh, 
Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 13. And if you're using the uh, Pew Bible, that would be page 528. Okay? And, and we'll get there in a minute. But Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 13. There's an old saying that I love, you adjust where you live, but it says that marriages are made in heaven, but you live them in Santan Valley. And, and the reality of that is, you know, nothing wrong with Santan Valley. It's just that we live it here on earth, and there's hurdles, and there's bumps, and there's trials, and so it's not like we always float around on a crowd, on a cloud, loving each other and smiling and calling each other dear and sweetheart. We have to work for it. Chip and I learned that early on. Now, we in our life, we'll be married 37 years in July. We have had some doozies. Pleasure was all mine. We have had in our life, we had some real arguments and, that were serious and, uh, and were hurtful and, you know, we had to have them and work through them. We've had some arguments that were long and hard and over the stupidest things you can imagine. Not even worth fighting about. And then we've had some arguments that were just so stupid that a third of the way through one of us broke up laughing because we knew you're just being stupid. So we've had all kinds. I mean, we hadn't been married a real long time, and I think we were going out to a late dinner, because I had worked late, and she got home from the office late, so we were going out to dinner one night, and we got in the car, and she says, I'm so excited, I've been waiting all day to see you and to talk to you, because you won't believe what happened today, it's one of the greatest things that ever in my life, I'm dying to tell you, and as she began to tell me, one of my favorite songs from the 1950s came on radio, I hadn't heard it in 35 years. Like any good man, I leaned over and turned that radio off. Man, I'll tell you, it got so chilly in that car. I, I think it was early June, and it felt like late January. She moved as far as she could. I'm not sure she was still in the car. And it was three days before we could work through that, before I could, you know, I tried to give every reason in the world how I can do both, and I'm a multitasker, and I heard you, and I heard us, you know, and it, it took me days to realize you suck at this. Just say, I'm stupid, I'm sorry, and it'll never happen again, you know. But it, it was a couple of days, it was tense, because she took it personally, and I didn't understand it. My favorite story is kind of stupid, but I've never been more angry in my life. You'll probably get a laugh out of this, but I was crazy. We went out one night uh, to a store. We needed something for Sunday morning. And we went out to one of those convenience stores that opened at midnight. It was 5 to 12 when we left the house. And we got there last thing. We bought it. We're on our way out. And the guy was turning off the lights to close the store. And Chip had her father's old Belvedere car. And it wouldn't start. Now, I'm not an expert on cars. I'm pretty sure she flooded it. But whatever reason, it wouldn't start. Well, we were we were less than a mile from our house. And uh, I said, you know, by the time I walk home and get a car to jump there or, or, or tools. How about if I just push it? Three quarters of a mile. That, no problem. It's okay. So she's behind the wheel and I'm pushing her. We made a couple turns to get out of the parking lot around the corner. Down. One more turn and we're on her street. Now it's all straight legs. And that's by now quarter to one. There's nobody on the streets in Ohio. And we're headed down Euclid Avenue and I'm I got my head down, and I was up to a run. I was moving her. I'm not so sure we didn't break speed limit. I was, you know, and, uh, and we're flying along, 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 and 
we're just a couple blocks from home and we're almost through this intersection and Chip's like, oh my, stop sign. <laughs> and I slammed my head in the trunk, and bounced off and it hurt. I was hurting. And I came up with all this crap, you know, just hollering at her and screaming, what a, how stupid was that? What stopping for you, you an idiot, you know, there's no man. And I finally took a breath and she hollers at the window, stop saying. <laughs> and, you know, and I was like, I'm going to give you a stop sign, get out of that car, you know, I, I couldn't, I was furious, you have no idea. And I ran to her window because I wanted to fight. And as I approached her window, she locked the car and rolled the window up. And that just made it worse. And I ran around in front of the car to the other side. But she beat me. And I was, ah, I was screaming. I was going all by myself on the middle of Euclid Avenue, quarter to one, no one awake. Now they are, but uh, I was crazy. And I was so mad. Literally, I'm not proud of this, I ripped the whole windshield wiper off the car. I was furious. My head hurt. And I ran to her side. Ah, come out of there and fight. Stand up, you know, I'm standing there. And when I finally ran out of breath and word to scream at her, she just cracked the window enough to say, just two more blocks. <laughs> that was crazy. I don't think she ever got it. To her, it was all some big joke and, oh, I was broken neck. So, so we've, we've, we've had those moments, you know, and, and like everybody else, we, we have to work through them and, and we gotta make them happen. And, uh, you know, there in the moment, you know, you get hot, you get disappointed, you get frustrated, you get hurt. And you got to work through those, like J.J. and Dee said. For a while, they walked away from it. So they were encouraged by the body, by Mark, and by the Word of God. Let's do this together. If you're open to Ecclesiastes 4, uh, I want to remind you of the Scripture in Genesis, you know, turn to it. Genesis 2, verse 18. Very simple. God says, it's not good for man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper for him. Someone suitable. And so you need to know, right from you know the second chapter of the whole Bible, the world has just begun, and God says, you need a helper. The two of you need to walk through this together. It takes two of you. On your own, you can't make it. And then let's look at Ecclesiastes. I love this scripture. I've used this scripture in probably uh, five or six of the weddings I've done over the years. I think it says it best. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. And if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overcome, two may defend themselves. And in verse 13, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. We'll get back to that. God told you all the way in Genesis 2 that a husband and wife are to help each other. And they're to do this together. And then he says in Ecclesiastes, you realize that the two of you are better than one. The two of you together will accomplish much more than either one of you ever will on your own. That's how he designed it. You keep warm. You can overpower the enemy. 
you get a better return for your work. Everything is better. And I want to challenge you to think about something today. I, I've married exactly 100 couples in my life. And when I do premarital counseling, and my wife will tell you, if you do premarital with me, it's not easy. It's a long process. And I challenge you. And if I see you got a problem, I dig until it bleeds. Because I believe in marriage. But I know it, it, it's work. And I ask the couples, I give them homework. The second week we meet, I give them homework for the next week. Consider a couple things. First of all, I ask them, what are the two biblical reasons to get married? And I can only find two. In God's word, there's only two reasons to get a spouse. Genesis 2.18. Not good to be alone. I will give you a helper. You need that helper. And the second one I can find is in 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul says, it's no good to be lusting. You need to fulfill your sexual gifts. Get a partner. Get married. A lot of people blush at that. And only once, when I asked a couple, what are the two reasons to get married? And there's one couple in particular, Bryce and Heidi. Bryce said, well, for a helper. And I was like, okay, good. Heidi, I said, because I want to have sex. <laughs> I was really impressed. I said, go Heidi. And of course, Bryce was smiled for an hour. But, but, but that's the second reason. And I asked him, okay, so they understood that. And then I said, here's your homework. Ecclesiastes 4 says, two are better than one, you help each other. I want you to tell me next week, think about it. What is it about Bryce, Heidi? You've dated other boys. Why him? What is it about Bryce that made you say, he's the one I want to marry? Bryce, why Heidi? And then I don't want a spiritual reason, I want a practical reason. And then after that, tell me how you understand you complement each other. Why are you going to be better together than you are alone? What gifts does Heidi have that either complement yours, support yours, or replace the ones you don't have? Right? And I want you to think about that. And I want you to tell me. Now, I have a lot of fun. I remember very well, if somebody would ask me that question 36, 37 years ago, I had an answer. The thing that attracted me to Chip initially was her life. Man, she walked into Sunday school and I went, she's got me. You know? But then the other thing was her laugh. I've spent a lifetime trying to make people laugh. In high school, I was the class clown or the class hemorrhoid, depending on who you talk to. But I always liked to make people laugh. And Chip had this laugh that just was so different. And it was hearty. And I've been speaking to groups of several thousand. And I said something funny and they all laughed and I heard it. I'll never forget. And to this day, when she laughs, the world is right. Well, she's laughing at me because I'm stupid. But, but I remember that. And then I asked them, how do they compliment? How do you compliment each other? And I wondered today, how many of you, if I asked you, I wouldn't embarrass anybody, but if I got you up there and said, you know, Michael, what was it about Amber that made you say she's the one? Is there something you remember years later? And a couple kids later, is it still there? Do you remember her and why you were attracted to her? Amber, what is it about you and Michael that you mesh? What gifts has God brought together? That's something worth thinking about. 
And then verse 13 says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Man, that's golden. Because it's an obvious reference to husband, wife, and Jesus Christ. The three wrapped together make a cord that you can't break. And that's the essence of a marriage. It needs to depend on God's love for you and Jesus' death and resurrection. What do you mean? I would submit to you that there are endless amount of reasons why couples divorce. But I think the bottom line is because Jesus Christ was not the center of their lives and he didn't wrap their marriage. You can give me any reason you want why it fell apart, but I'm going to tell you it was because you didn't rely on God enough. And that scripture says, men, you just got to understand that there are days in your life you're not there. Physically, emotionally, spiritually. For some reason, you're having a bad day. You're not strong. Thank God for that helper. Your wife steps to the plate. And she becomes the strong one. And wives, on the days that you're weak and you're hurting, you know how you depend on your husband. Just stand up. Come to the plate and say, I'll take the lead here. I'll take care of you. I'll make this happen. My fear in life is for the people who don't have Christ. And you hit those moments when both of you are devastated. Perhaps the death of a child. Some catastrophe that comes to your life where neither one of you are in the position to be strong and make it happen. Now what do you do? I go to Christ. Chip relies on the Lord. And he gets us through it. But if you don't have that, I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do. There are no words to tell you it's going to be okay. When you're feeling finished, I'm ready to die. So you need Jesus Christ. And I want to wrap up our time on marriage. Turn with me, if you would, to Ephesians chapter, um, Philippians chapter 2. We've looked at ways to work on your marriage and how your marriage should look and how you should follow Christ and be wrapped in Christ and talk to your spouse in a loving way and serve her dutifully and, and mutually submit and, and uh, you know, give each other the credit and the means and the space. And those are all absolute elements. But to me, it all wraps up in these verses from Philippians 2, just 5 through 8. That's page, uh, I wrote it down here, 913, if you're using a Q Bible. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. And being the very nature of a servant, being made in the human likeness, and being found in appearance, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, you know, you really got to dig into that. I mean, for crying out loud, he was God. He was part of the triune God. He wasn't a, a good guy, a strong guy, the President of the United States. He was God. And he suffered horrendous things for his entire adult life. He was ridiculed. He was scorned. He was, you know, disdained. 
And eventually he was beaten and cut and spit upon and judged unrightfully and murdered. But never once did he fight back. One of the 22 billion reasons I know I'm not God is because I've had times in my life, boy, if I had the power, I'd have said, dude, bring your big hand out of the sky and flick that dude off the earth. He is ticking me off. I'd be burning down whole cities on a whim. And and God sat there and, and Jesus Christ took it all. And all he did is defend on the cross with like railroad spikes in his hands and feet. He says, Father, forgive them. They have no idea what they're doing. That wouldn't have been what I would have said. But see, I call this verse, I, I refer to it as don't take it personal. Jesus Christ took all that abuse, all that hurt, the murder. But he said, you know, I understand I'm God. But I don't think that's something I should hold up. And I'm not going to help these people by parading around with the sign saying, my dad's God. Oh, God's not. He didn't do that. Because he knew his purpose. I'm going to absorb all this. I'm going to take all this. Because I love them. Remember a couple weeks ago we read in the scripture when I was sharing with you that the only reason we are saved and uh, we'll spend heaven for eternity, there's only one reason. Because God says in his word, I love you. He didn't do anything to earn it, but I love you. And here was Jesus Christ saying, I'm not going to take it personally. You hate me. You ridicule me. You've killed me. You understand what you're doing. You're a frail human. And you've got a sinful nature. I'm going to die for you so that you will live eternally. You know, if Christ come down off that cross, if he had said, I've had it this too much, I think the beatings and the spitting, but you're not going to kill me. We would have all died a death. But because of his death, we all live. And now here we are, 2012, and we're married. And many of us have children. And it's the same principle. When you got married, however many years ago it was, two months, ten years, or 37 years ago, at that time, you gave up your right to be number one. It's not all about me anymore. I have a spouse that I'm going to love and live for. And just like God said, I love you. We are saying, I say to my wife in every way I can, I love you. And I've made mistakes and I have hurt her and I have screwed up and I, you know, I've taken us to the edge of destruction in the marriage and she loves me. And rather than be angry, and we learn to say to one another, you're a frail human, you made a mistake. She forgave me for turning up the radio. I forgave her for almost breaking my neck. Which, by the way, is the reason I'm only five foot two today. I was six five the night that happened. But I've learned because I love her. No other reason. I love her. Many of you have children, and you get that many more reasons and people to love. It's not about me as the dad. I love my wife. I love my children. I live for them. And the wife has a husband and children to live for. That's what it's all about. You realize that makes the, that makes the world go round. How many times at work or in public or in your family, somebody's done or said something to hurt you. 
make you feel stupid and unwanted. You can spend a whole lot of time being mad at them. And when it's all over, you're nowhere. You're mad at them. See, you can't hurt me anymore. You have no idea the power I have in my life. There's nothing you can do to hurt me. I understand Paul's scripture. Kill me. Then I get to go be with Jesus. If I'm fine and I live, I get to be with all you people and tell you, like, Lord, this is awesome. And the worst you can do is kill me. <laughs> then I go to heaven. You can't hurt me. And I've learned that if you slander me or mistreat me, okay, I walk away. I'm not going to fight with you. I'm not going to have an argument. I'm not going to hate you. I may have to work through it for a day or two, asking God to forgive you and all that. But there's power in being weak. It's not about me. You lied. Okay. Should I stand up and say, oh God, it's me, Tim Gunther. That guy lied about Tim Gunther. Surely you're going to kill him right now. You can't do that to me. I'm Tim Gunther. And they realize, I'm not a big thing. There's a whole lot of Gunthers running around. And I understand that. But the power I derive from loving my wife unconditionally as Christ loves me cannot be number one. She is. We don't have children, so we've been able to spend all our time on making each other number one. And the challenge to you today is, have you given up your right to be the king, to be number one? And have you diligently and openly given your life to your spouse and your family? I would like you to do something. You may want to, we have, uh, Chris, you can come. We have over here to this side communion, and my wife and I will be over there to pray, and there's kneelers around you go pray, and there's boards. You may want to write a little thank you to God for something. But when you leave here, I'd like to challenge you today. When you go to lunch, whether you go out or whether you're at home, you husband and wives, see if you can recall what that thing was that told you this is the girl I want to spend the rest of my life with. What was it about her? Do you still remember? And tell us. Bless her to know that you've been a long time. 37 years with Chip knows. And I hear her laugh. It's all good. And then I want you to ask each other, how do you see your gifts? What has God put in you, husband, that really help your wife and mesh with hers? And in some areas where she's not real good, you're strong. And what are the areas where you slept a little bit, your wife is strong? Talk about that as a couple. See how God, why he brought you together. And what it is that makes the two of you better than either one of you could have been. Let's pray. Father, it's always good to get into your word. And always, again and again, the trials we're suffering and the hurdles we're getting over are always met head-on by your love to us. We pray, Lord, that the Scriptures would become real to us. I pray that we would respond now either in communion or getting prayer or praying alone, writing on the board, but Lord, help us to get home and rekindle our love and talk about what made it so cool all those years ago and make it still cool today. Father, we ask you bless Mark while he's on the road. Give him a very safe trip home. I know his family misses him and we miss him. And I just pray, Lord, that he's getting stronger and stronger all the time. Be with us now as we close in worship and always in our lives. Glorify your son, Jesus. 
in his precious name. Amen.